Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. This is Chad. I'm once again joined by Dan and Adrian this week, and we also have Mark Edwards with us. It's always a treat when Mark's with us. We get to dive into some pretty meaningful stuff. This week, we're talking about the loneliness of being a founder and what you can do about it. We really uncover some of the psychology that goes on behind the loneliness of being a founder or being at the top. You hear that phrase a lot. It's lonely at the top. And my hope is that you'll find something in this conversation that helps you really gain a new perspective of what it's like to connect with others, even when you're at the top, even when you're the founder. I cannot wait to jump into this conversation with you. Let's go. Mark, it's so great to have you back. Good to be here. Thanks, Chad. Uh, it's always fun when you come to the table. We get to dig into some very meaningful stuff. And this, uh, you proposed a topic for this week that I was really excited to jump into. And just even as we've started talking before we hit record, I, we had to stop each other because there's so much here and say, whoa, whoa, whoa let's actually get into it and, and start having the conversation. So I'll just tee it up a little bit. Um, we want to talk about founders and the feeling of aloneness. Um, there's so much tendency for founders to feel, you, you, we hear the quote, it's lonely at the top. I mean, that's such a common quote to hear founders and leaders talk about, and we're going to dissect that today. I, I wanted to start right at the top, Mark, and talk about why, why is this topic on your mind? Why did you want to bring this to the table today? Because I see this so often. Um, uh, I do a lot of work with founders and one and usually founders in, usually I connect with founders in crisis and the crisis is normally something like I'm ready to walk away I'm ready to give up it's all too much I don't see getting there I don't have the resources the money the team and when you peel that back it's typically what's under that um, the, the underlying complaint is one of loneliness and being alone and on this journey on their own. That's typically what I encounter, um, that the founder doesn't feel understood, um, that they're, they're really isolated. And so I think that the, this, this topic is worthy with, um, of, of a further discussion as to now, why why that arises and comes up for founders, and how how we can piece that apart and, and talk about supporting founders? Yeah, you know, just on a, I, I think it's profoundly important when it comes to scaling and building a business uh, that's healthy and growing and creative and ongoingly competitive competitive in the market, because. You know, if the if the founders in a conversation, and I think the I think the experience is both is the symptom, right? I'm lonely. I feel alone. I don't know who I can trust. Is usually what I hear. And I can't I, I can't trust so and so because they don't have the experience I have. I don't I don't know if they really have the same concerns that I have, even though they say they do. I mean, there's a number of variants on this conversation, and and so. And so I, there's a constant seeking to uh, adjust the externals in my organization rather than checking in internally. Like, I wonder how it is that I'm 
relating to this situation that a I feel isolated and alone and b that I don't I I can't access what I hired people to do I can't access their talents in a way that line up with what I'm committed to the excellence I'm committed to and I think that's really the question you know I know I get into that with with founders like what and they're often shocked by it but there's a there's a you know, I, I, I suppose I say to them, what if it's the way you wanted it to be? Let's say the way you have it is the way you wanted it to be. Let's start there. And that uh, would be. And you seem to be asking a very odd. You, you seem to be coming at this from a very odd perspective. <laughs> yeah, that's a and bullshit that's question, you, Dan. So hold on, man. Hold on, man. <laughs> well, there's. And I'm obviously saying that to be comical, but also it's, I mean, there's an, there's an underlying uh, secret. There's an underlying viewpoint that you've got, even in your approach to the dynamic that, you know, that I think needs to be illuminated um, because most people are at effect. Like most people claim their experience is because fill in the blank. Yeah. And, most of the time that because what's after the because is everything it's not present it's either historic or external it's a psychological assessment right on it's it's the meaning i put on it and i don't that gets conflated i i just think that is yeah i think the because is true and so what i'm getting at is well you know the answer to i guess if i put it in a nutshell I honestly believe the answer to a lot, to all of our problems, at least, has to do with being responsible for what it is I want to have happen. Like, like if I take responsibility for what I want to have happen, not shame or blame or credit, but, but actually what's it going to take to have it happen, I'm going to get into the conversation about what, because if I'm feeling alienated, I guarantee you, my, if I have a team, my team is going to feel alienated. Yeah. From me and from the work in some ways. And yeah. they're going to be walking on eggshells. So there's an interesting, an interesting word Adrian just used, which is illuminate. And that, that made me think about the, the luminescence of the vision. So because, because the, the founder is carrying the flame of the vision, and often that is so bright. That vision is, that, that flame is so bright that it can blind uh, people, including the founder, to what's going on because they're so the, the, this vision is so bright, so present for them that that part of that aloneness is they can't see other people and can't see certain things. So there's another perspective there, I think. Yeah, and if you if you chunk that down, I think the blindness shows up in a number of different ways, like different symptoms. One is we're moving so fast we can't build we, we, we're faster than the road we're building we're, we're you know we're, we're building the airplane while it's in the flight we don't tend we tend it's so exciting what the light reveals that that people are moving at a million miles a minute and when you're small that really works but as you get bigger there has to be a coordination you start falling over one another and 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 that feels like people are sabotaging the vision and and then that means well we're gonna have to take our eyes off of going forward for a moment to get clear about how we're lined up. And, you know, that ranges from governance on through to just process. And, you know, there's all these different 
things that tend to get neglected in the passionate fire flame of the vision, right? Because especially if there's traction, that brings up a whole new, you know, and people are moving fast. And when it's small, it's a blast and people are in sync. But as you get larger and larger, people start running into each other. And then it's like, what happened? How, then then the, the conversation goes, how do we go back to where we were versus, oh, I wonder what it's calling out of us now that we've never been together. What's next? So, Dan, with your question, um, I wonder, restate the question. If you, if you had it the way you want it, would you want to know? Was that, was that your question? Is that how you yeah, posed it? If, if it was the way you want it, would you want to know? Okay, great. So that question implies, right? We all hoopla after that question. What in the world, Dan? That implies I have choice or that I'm choosing I'm actually, isolation and I'm choosing loneliness. I'm and choosing what I'm complaining about. <laughs> why would a founder choose to be lonely? Oh, it's a rich world. <laughs> there's, there's so many payoffs. I mean, think about that. One, I, I, I become very significant in my, in, in, to the business, to what I'm up to. It brings a sense of meaning. Two, it causes people to come to understand me. It draws people, like people need to be connected to me to understand the vision. Yeah. Well, it's, it can't it's, be replaced. If I, if and, I'm, and oftentimes I'm not the, the visionary is not replaceable. That's really not right. the issue. It's it's. But how? What wouldn't it be great if you could start fifty other flames on your team and not just have one? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the benefit of kind of being enigmatic, right? It's like if if I'm if I'm the if I'm if I am the special sauce. Like if I'm holding the vision, then I all of a sudden, you know, I'm the. I'm the torch. I'm thinking of the Olympic torch, right? It's like, there's the flame at the top and I am the handle. Um, you know, then that does breed the significance, but it's also, if, if I'm this kind of hard to tack down, hard to understand, hard to access, very conflicted, very, oh, random, scattered. Um, temperamental. Temperamental, dramatic. Not that I'm thinking of lots of founders that I know and love right now. Um, but if I'm that, then all of a sudden it does to your point, like it makes me really special. And there's some power in like being the one people can never quite tie down. It's an unhad conversation typically, but you know, it's like, there is a, you know, if I'm, if I, if I'm hard to understand or if I'm hard to like, if I definitely, if I'm hard to replicate, then people now build, you know, this is a lot of the critique of if you're on a, if you're on a, if you're in a founder driven team is we can't scale this person because they're like the special sauce and that therein lies part of the payoff. And, mm -hmm. and just, and just to put it out there, like none of this is like, um, we're not speaking about this, like founders shame on you. It's just like, let's get honest about why we keep doing, why we keep presencing the thing that we say is making our life really hard. Yeah. There's nothing like scaling to, reveal the insecurity of a founder hmm. because the minute, I mean, I'm just speaking from my own experience as a founder many years ago. And the minute you start, I start to impart what I do and, and successful at doing that. 
and, and, and like other people begin to do it in their own right and is well or better, then I have to, I'm faced with that. Am I still important? Yeah. It, you know, are they going to leave me behind? Yes. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's a natural. And, and so <laughs> there's a tension going on. I think without even speaking to it, there's a paradox that goes on. Yeah. I, I've been, I've been talking about lots of founders around this. I don't know if I have it yet, but where I'm at now is like talking about this paradox between being essential and being significant. Um, and, and my, and, and even as I'm just playing with it here, um, you know, the significance must go down. Like, I don't think you're going to lose the essentialness of the initial vision of the core voice of the person that launched it. Like there is a, the, the clarion call for the tribe, right? That came out of a person. Um, somebody, you know, and I was talking with a guy this morning around why for him work and life are really connected because if you're the founder, uh, it's not like you went and go, went and said, what job do I want? Let me go start a company that gives me a job. It's not like that. It's like, Oh, what is of me? What is like the business came out of a person. So there's an essentialness um, of the business, at least at the beginning is what the founder is like, you know, if that makes sense. So, but how can, I said it to the guy this morning, I said, your job is to become less significant over time, which is a very, hold on, what? Don't you know, I'm the guy? I'm like, I know, I know. It's really counterintuitive. Your job is to become less significant. Now, it's not like, it's not, it's not like you vac, like you leaving and leaving, but you need to become less significant over time, which generates a vacuum where other people can then create, fill, um, generate something else that is makes you makes you less significant, not less essential. But you know, anyway, that's in that dynamic. I don't know where it is, but it's that like, oh shit, I gotta stay the hub of the wheel, because you are the hub of the wheel. If you if you're committed to staying the hub of the wheel, you will stunt the growth. Yeah, I, I think I, I think what I see is a lot of the the passion that fuels that flame. The, there's a concern of founders of letting that passion dissipate. And then when you talk about scale, the, there's the worry there that I see that we're going to lose the passion, we're going to lose the driving force, we're going to lose the reason that clients connect with us. Yeah. Um, and, and so in terms of being the protector of the vision, the protector of the flame, it's the protector of the passion that the, 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 the founders got something, something special. It comes from their story, their history, uh, why they started the company, the needs out there in the market. And they don't want to lose that as the business grows. And so, Adrian, when you talk about significance, um, and the, the, that's why I think some fears, I see fears come up sometimes, is that we're going to lose what made us special. We're going to lose what got us here. And how do we take that forward? So I, I, in a way, I'm validating sort of some of the concerns I hear with the founders. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Because what worked to get them where they are at the point of scale isn't going to work at scaling, which gets conflated in over. We and there, I think it's right on. You could lose if you're not if you don't scale well. You could lose that. That magic sauce, or you know, whatever the, what you know, whatever the spirit is of the organization. So it requires it's a whole new set of skills for the founder 
to reinvent that that spirit in the organization. And if you could, because the tendencies, I'm always, my hands are in everything. And yeah. how do I reinvent that in a way that I don't have to have my hands in everything that I can rise up above the business and be more strategic and, you know, raise up a team. How, and I think that's always, always the challenge uh, is how do you raise a team and maintain that quality, that quality of spirit. I, I think as you, you were talking about that, the example of Apple came to mind and Apple before Steve Jobs, John Scully coming, you know, being brought in with his Pepsi background to scale the business. And then um, that not working, Apple losing its way and then going back to the visionary and bringing Steve back to, to reignite it, to re, you know, relight that flame in the company and build a team and scale it dramatically. And, and- and he had matured because he lost everything yes. and came back. So he had, he's got a whole different level of security than he had yeah. when he was there trying to maintain and hold on to it. Yes. Right. So it's, it's like to hear him speak before and after that crisis is pretty profound too. He's much more um, mature and you can tell he knows, he knows what the important things are to address. Not so, um, People became more important in the back end, right, of his life than they were on the front end. Building a team became more important than just producing a fantastic product. That the way to build a fantastic product at scale is to build a team that's really aligned, and that that's a different set of skills. So, so there's this unique thing that happens in the impact series, which is, if you don't know what that is, if you're listening, that's a um, workshop that we have done a couple of times now and, and continue to do with founders where 20 founders get into a room and they're there to solve uh, a challenge that's in front of them, either as an individual, as a founder or in their company. And what's in, always interesting to me is to watch the room is when one founder talks about a challenge and all the other founders go, oh my gosh, that's my same challenge. Like, I, that's me. And they're so surprised that somebody else in the world is experiencing what they are experiencing. God. <laughs> so we've talked a lot about how do founders not isolate or be lonely to their team, but we haven't touched on resources that are available for founders or even that founders tend, tend to not talk to each other in order to find resource and um, company within the challenges that they're facing. And I'm just wondering, you know, Mark, you said each, each founder's uh, journey is unique. However, they're remarkably similar. Yeah. If you look at the arc of the journey, they are very similar. And I think that's one of the things, and you brought up the impact workshop. One of the things that we point out in the workshop is that, in this room, there are people who you think may be ahead of you because they started their business before you, they're older than you, they're, they've got a bigger team than you. And true, part of that journey, they may be further ahead, but then there'll be other parts of the journey that they're not as far ahead. And so this notion that we're all on this arc of a journey and we're at different points on that arc, depending whether we're talking about Um, different aspects of our business and recognizing where you're at in your journey relative to others such that 
either you can be a resource to them or they can be a resource to you, I think is something that, that brings, um, brings some um, benefit to, to founders and realizing that, yeah, while my journey is unique, it's, it, the, the, the arc of the journey is not unique. Um, and therefore, there are challenges that I've overcome that I can help other people overcome. There are challenges I'm going to face that other people have overcome and that brings hope and encouragement and yeah. um, uh, is, is that's part of that's part of the conversation we get into yeah wow. i think i think while the journey is unique the dynamics are the same are same right there the dynamics are there it's kind of the joseph campbell thing you know every hero has a unique journey but every hero must tra- must um, travel over very over the similar ground or, or deal with identical dynamics in the process. And like, for instance, one of them that occurs for me, we, we had, we were doing an offsite with a, uh, a team we were this last week, Adrian and I, and they have, they, we worked with the founders to sell and they made a, an exit that was quite substantial. And, and then they sold to a major multinational company and that company invited us in to do a leadership weekend with them. And during the weekend, one of the dynamics that occurred was when there a problem came up, we noticed that people focused on different things. Like one of the dynamics that most founders will do, if a problem comes up, they're usually fairly adept at looking at the symptom and getting to the issue, getting to the problem. And what happens in scaling is people tend to get stuck in the symptom and they want to re- and, and they get stuck on in, in this experience we had on trying to find a mechanism to resolve the symptom versus getting really clear about what their intention is and letting that drive them to discover what mechanism is going to, to break through and what that produces on the team is if you've got a team of 10 people and you have a problem and six of them are focused on a mechanism to get the, to fix the problem, to, to, to deal with it, and you have the other four looking at their intention, right there you have some kind of clash that it's hard to understand. Why are we arguing? Why are, because some people want to stop and take a look at how they're relating to it and you know, get aligned with what they really want to have as an outcome, get their attention, their intentions aligned. And others want to talk about what structure should we use? What process should we use? Don't we need a new software? And and so there's a a natural resistance that can cause a a founder, a lot of, or a CEO, a lot of uh, stress. Like, how do I get these guys on the same page, which is one of the complaints we hear a lot about. How do I get my team aligned and on the same page? That's a that's a fundamental distinction that I know we work quite a bit in the workshop. So I mean to that to that point, I mean it's it sounds great to be very solution oriented. Um, you know, and it's like I, I hear that complaint all the time because I just want people to Stop, stop complaining about shit and be solution oriented. I'm, 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 I'm with them on my version of that. Um, but we have to talk a lot about what that means to be solution oriented. Cause it, part of it is what your point is, Dan, is that which problem are we actually solving? Can we do that? And most of, 
uh, my experience with part of this isolation is we stay there with founders is like they're listening. They, they've got a clean sense of what it takes for them to what it took probably for them to get to where it is, which is a high level of commitment, high level of, of scrutiny, high level of investment. Um, but, but yet when they end up engaging in the midst of a breakdown, they end up managing behavior or aiming towards the solution or the plan. And they forget that what generated the behavior for them and what generated the plan was something maybe very far different, very far from where that person's coming from. And so they don't slow down and say, hold on, where are you coming from? What are we actually here for? What's missing and how we're showing up in the conversation, which is if there's a gap at all between the level of commitment, level of personal investment, level of personal honesty and integrity, all those types of things, which is the soil out of which everything grows, whether it's a meeting or whether it's a plan or whatever. If those things are misaligned, then they're going to spend a lot of time consistently having a conversation about the frosting and not deciding to deal with the, the, what's, what's, what's off in the cake itself. And yeah, so they, they end up being really harsh because it sounds so stupid. Why can't this person figure it out is like the complaint a lot of time. Why can't they figure it out? Because the solution makes sense to them and is so intuitive based on where they're coming from and they forget or even aren't aware to go explore with the person that's in charge of solving the problem where they're coming from in the generation of the solution. I don't know if that's too heady, but that, you know, that's no, the. I, I mean, it makes a lot of sense because what I know, like, for instance, a lot of times the way the solution gets handled is we have more and more meetings instead of really getting clear about what are we meeting about, what conversations, what do we need to investigate? Like what part of the problem are we investigating here? And is it, are we investigating what we're doing? Are we investigating the assumptions behind it? Because if people are doing everything they can and it still isn't working and you add one more thing to do, they're just gonna feel overwhelmed. Yeah. And they'll go along with the corporate yes because they don't want to be bothered because it's so intense anyway. Whereas if you can stop the process and get them to talk about some of the things that the conversations that they that they're having that produce their lack of involvement. Like if I'm working with somebody and I think that the person I'm working with is incompetent, I need to deal with that conversation because first, because. I'm going to play out that conversation by not trusting them with what they need to do, right? And that's going to tighten the space up. There's just one example, but there's something in the way they're relating to both what they're doing and who they're doing it with. There's probably multiple conversations. If they had them, would open up new ways of relating, get things cleared up, right? Like Mr. Incompetence, if I thought he was incompetent, whoever it is, and I listened to him, I might discover that oh, shoot, I have something he could use, or there's something I'm seeing he's not seeing, or I didn't understand the problem fully. You know, there's a number of things that start to emerge if people have those conversations. But normally, we're just talking about how we're doing the job, not how we're being together and how we're thinking or not thinking together. I'll give an example um, for conversation this week with a, with a client um, who's the COO of a company, and they just had a crisis internally. Uh, a pretty big deal uh, for their industry. And uh, th through that, everybody really showed their cards, 
which is mo- usually is what crisis does. It reveals, right? It brings people to the surface. People end up doing um, what's most self-serving in the midst of crisis, naturally. Um, there could be something else or something new that they aim at, but most, most of the time people are not, don't want to be conscious of what's needed. They just go to what's first in their own mind, what's urgent in their own minds. So for example, because I was talking to this, this client and I said, well, how are you going to debrief this thing? Because she was full of complaints. We listened to all those things and what we didn't work. Da, da, da. Great. Tell me about the debrief. And her debrief was going to be very sterile and about how to do it differently next time. And I said, okay, well, what are you not? Okay, great. That's fine. Um, and she's an ops person. So she naturally thinks that way. I'm like, but listen to your complaints about what led to the breakdown. Now, is that going to solve that? Or what conversation must you have? which is a very interpersonal conversation because the founder went one way, the boards came in, investors came in and she was the quarterback of it. And it was challenging for her, but you know, left to herself, she wasn't going to have those conversations, which is anytime we debrief and we omit the core need out of the debrief, we're saying, Oh, next time, just do it the same way. And I'll just sign up for the same bullshit round two. We'll just do more of it. And we'll just do more of it. Yeah. And I'll just be double the victim then instead of how we are now. Yeah, but that's the, the, that was the conversation she didn't want to have because those are more risky. Like to speak, you know, she's leading up in that context and saying to the founder, hey, this is what I needed from you. And she wasn't willing to, she knew it, she knew it at the time. Like she knew it as it was happening. And my question, what requests were you unwilling to make in the midst of the crisis that you knew would have served the company? And we went through all those. So one step at a time, which she obviously would, and, you know, telling on ourselves, we call this telling on ourselves and getting honest with ourselves about what we chose instead of our integrity, which is usually some kind of ego driven, looking good, feeling good, being right, being in control. We choose that shit all the time. We just don't own the fact that we're choosing that instead of what was really wanted and needed for the moment. Um, and, that produces, needed. and that produces that sense of loneliness because I just don't want to make those requests because they've exposed me or possibly cre- could create more conflict that I don't think I want to have. Yeah. So well, this, like- is, this is the conversation people don't have. And then they blame hierarchy for it. For example, she's young, female, highly competent. Um, but then, and I'm not saying she's doing this, but a lot of times people don't speak up and then blame the fact that um, other people might've stepped in because they're older and, and white and male, like they spoke up because of that. And she couldn't because of her position and culture in her own mind, or what has maybe even been assigned to her as if that matters as well, versus what was capable, what she was possible of simultaneously, you know, which took, which would have taken some courage and maybe just the courage to say that, Hey, you might not be listening to me because of your assumptions about me, but let, let me let you know what I'm here to do. A powerful conversation. Yeah. That would certainly deepen the connection and respect or reveal what's wanted and needed because between them, because it isn't going to get any better unless those, unless those things start to get resolved or aligned. Well, and even just going and and even to, to the person she wanted to talk to least, I was just like, well, if there's feedback for you, would you want to know? And, you know, and her answer to that is, well, yeah, Wait, but it wasn't. It wasn't right. She was going to avoid the thing. I guess you, know, well, okay, you got me. Well, you know, but she wanted to avoid the thing. And with the assumption that there's bad feedback I don't want to hear, which might be there, quote unquote, bad feedback. Um, 
but there also might be glorious feedback. There might be a way to actually instill yourself even more and gain the trust and confidence of the person you'd like to avoid. But we give that, this is part of back to the isolation thing. If we're not willing to be transparent with what's going on for us, we're, it's gonna be very hard for us to feel seen, feel cared for, feel accepted at our deepest level. We might, we might be applauded, we might be adored, but well, that doesn't work. The mask, the illusion of who we are is what gets the, the, the accolades. If we're only showing that part of ourselves, but if we're willing to show all of ourselves, like really, here's my real concerns. Here's what I was scared of in the middle of that moment. By the way, here's what I didn't say. You know, when we tell on ourselves, then there's gives an opportunity for people to really meet us where we're scared to death they won't. You know, because yeah. I'm not willing to show it. So if I'm not willing to show it, there's no way anybody else has a chance of actually well, joining and, me at the top. And if they don't meet us there, we will certainly see better how to build a bridge. That's right. Because we'll be much clearer about the the terrain. It's the stuff we make up that really I found that makes us or isolates us. Because then I think, oh, this is a bad thing that I found this chasm. Instead of okay, now I see the bridge that needs to be built. What kind of request? What kind of declaration? What kind of invitation needs to be made to open the possibility of bridging this gap? Yeah. Yeah, Dan, it's really clear to me, even as you guys were talking about this and you said it perfectly, and I'll just, I just want to reiterate on the end of that discussion is that this is the perfect example of a story that keeps us isolated. How founders or anybody really chooses isolation is to not be seen, not to show themselves, not to show their cards, to put up a mask or, or some sort of, you know, facade in front of us. Um, Adrian, you, I haven't heard you quote it in a while, but you used to quote this line that was like, let down the weight of your loneliness and ease into the conversation. Something like that. Yeah. Maybe it's, it was aloneness. Yeah. It's a line from a David White poem, W-H-Y-T-E, for those listening. Um, the, the, the poem is called Everything is Waiting for You. And my favorite line in that uh, is my favorite because I really relate to it. And the line is, Put down the weight of your aloneness and ease into the conversation. Put down the weight of your aloneness and ease into the conversation. Because I can like feel alone, like have the experience of being alone. And then I, I don't like, and then I tell myself, I don't like that. Um, this is wrong. This is bad. This is broken. Uh, if other people knew this about me, then they would walk away, judge me. Da, 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 da. And so I sing, signify the aloneness and then I carry it around like this secret, like that I'm lonely, like that I feel disconnected, like I don't know what to do, like I'm really secretly socially awkward. I hope they don't notice. Or I'm really secretly, I don't have all the answers here. And it's like a secret. And we carry secrets around like anchors, like, like, like weights on our shoulders. And so, so the idea is to put down the weight. I mean, it's because not those secrets is how I'm relating to them. Like I make up that the secret is the thing, that linchpin that must stay in place for me not to die. Instead of saying, oh, let's just bitch, and then good, let me just let myself be revealed and put this thing down, put this aloneness down and ease into the conversation. Because as soon as I talk about my aloneness to somebody else, I'm immediately not alone. Yeah. The, the, the other line in that really gets me that's related to this is your great mistake is to act the drama as if you were alone. Like as if you're in this alone when in fact 
you didn't get to where you are by yourself and you're not going to get to where you're going by yourself. Yeah. So you want to join in or not? As, as if life is a cunning crime filled with, with many hidden transgressions. As if, yeah, as if life were a progressive and cunning crime with no witnesses to the tiny hidden transgressions. There. No witnesses to the tiny hidden transgressions. He's so, he's so good. He captures it. I mean, particularly for the founder. I mean, it's really, and it's interesting because he's a corporate poet. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is, I mean, what, what hits me is, and, and, and one of the David White lines as well is, is, is you can't inhabit a world for which you don't have language. You can't inhabit a world for which you don't have language, which is like a poetic way of saying, like to be a thriving founder, you must have language for what's want for what's needed for you to want to be in the space. Yeah. Well, you know, like what's missing for you, like what, cause back, back to a point a minute ago um, is people, we, the, when founders, they, when they talk to, if they do talk to other founders, the quality of that conversation is usually very poor, meaning it's a commiserating experience. Like they get together and bitch about, complain about how hard it is. We call that an and accomplice, accomplice conversation. They become accomplices in their own defeat. <laughs> yeah. Versus friends. You know, a friend is committed to what you're committed to, even at the risk of your approval. Whereas an accomplice is looking for someone to commiserate with and to be right about the things they do that are out of their own integrity or put them in a place of, of um, harm. Yeah, well, this is the, the dangerousness of like the socially accepted meme, right? It's lonely at the top. The dangerousness is we actually think that that's all that's available. So now when I come together with others that are lonely at the top, the best thing is I'll, I'll have a good buddy in prison. That's their vision for the relationship. Instead of saying, how do we get the hell out of here? Let's say being lonely at the top isn't the only game in town. And what if we could like be hyper-connected at the top? What if this was the most, like being at the top was like, the, the opportunity for me to really fully express myself and generate a company that really gets the value of ambition, the value of striving and the value of being this ever ongoing, evolving human being. What, like, what if that, what's that? What if that's the vision? And then, you know, being real, like, Oh, like I could actually be seen, um, be challenged, be connected with, be accepted. Like, what if that's the vision that that's not the conversation usually you know, at, at, at happy hour, it's how hard it is. And that's just natural. That's human, how hard it is and whose fault it is and all that shit and says, Hey, what, what, am, what do I really want here? Cause I mean, burnout is like a virus. It's just a thought. It's not like something that's happening. It's this thing that, Oh, wait until you feel enough stress. So you bail out instead of saying, Oh, how do I preserve? How do I persevere? Like a vision of per perseverance at the top is where the conversation usually isn't. So, so this notion of language is really important because I see with a lot of founders, they express themselves through their products and services in, in, and their connections to clients and, and, and are very articulate in, 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 in um, characterizing that. What you're bringing up is, is effectively building up the skills then to express themselves in other ways and express um, where they're at on their journey and uh, 
reach for resource and support, um, aside from the way they would normally express themselves through their products and services. So it's a really interesting kind of concept to explore there. Yeah, you know, it's, it's powerful, Mark, because I think you know as well as anybody, we begin, you get really familiar with your circumstances. And that familiarity produces a blindness. Uh-huh. And so I, I like if somebody's not listening to me, I don't, and they're working with me or for me, maybe they're working for me, they're my CFO or they're my you know, HR person or head of sales. And we have, there's a certain familiarity we have with each other. So we don't ever question that familiarity. So we tend to, when something's not working, go down the same paths that produce the problem. We don't open up a new way of talking about the problem. And, you know, uh, again, back to David White, he has this line that says alertness is the hidden discipline of familiarity, like being alert to how I need to reframe this so I can open a new conversation or invite this person in a new way. That might even be as simple as, you know, I've noticed that I haven't been paying attention to the sales numbers with you for the last couple of weeks. And um and I'm thinking that I, you know, I checked in with myself about that. I thought, well, I think things are going poorly, so I didn't want to see them. I thought maybe we could sit down and you can fill me in and help me understand where we're at. You know, something like that. Just approaching somebody in a whole new way uh, can open up a, a, a new possibility that I never thought could be there or would be there. And uh, but the mastery of that kind of language takes some, like like every. It's like like when you're thinking about the strategy strategy of your company, you've got to have whiteboard time. You've got to be able to get away from the buzz of the business and think about it. The same thing's true in how you manage your team. I think you got to really get away from all the buzz for a while and think about what the issues are. How can I frame them? Why am I why am I having this conversation? What do I want on the other side of it? Right, like so, because I get the connection between culture and productivity. And I, I know you do a great job in the in the um, impact series of t- getting clear about that connection between strategy, culture, you know, and product, and 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 then you know yield and like that. I mean, you get that whole thing going so that people see the connections. And really, culture is kind of the centerpiece of of being able to connect all the pieces that need to go on that, you know, the consciousness of the organization. And that a lot of that as a leader takes thought time. And I think a lot of leaders, people call it the soft skills because they can't see them, but really that's what produces the, the big openings for the results and the breakthroughs and the innovations is that kind of willingness to keep reinventing myself for the vision. And they usually the founders ready to do that. Can they provide language to invite others to do that with them? Yeah. yeah. Is it, they're not like soft skills. They're core skills. Yeah. Core skills. Yeah. But they, they are <laughs> essential skills, soft skills because people can't see them. They seem ethereal, but they are core in the, in, in building a business and scaling it and keeping the purpose and the vision alive. The medium, as, as Mark talks about, I think culture is the is the medium. And there's like it's either going to be really sticky and slow and like molasses, or it can be really fluid. It can be airy, and the, the I mean, it's worth it. And this is you know, and for anybody, like this is just human being shit, right? It's like it's hard if I'm not in and in a really open 
um, loving, uh, inventive conversation with myself about myself, <laughs> the, the chance of me doing that with someone else are nothing. It's horseshit. Yeah. You know, I might go through the, I might act nice because we're trying to act nice to people and I better not be a dick again or whatever. But if I'm not in that conversation myself about with like really around self-acceptance and, and self-improvement simultaneously, it's one of the paradoxes we talk about. If I'm not in that, there's no chance it's going to hit my team. Yeah, I'm going to be nice, but I'm going to be covertly, you know, it's going to be a covert, passive aggressive yeah. kind of conversation. Yeah. 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 Hey, I'm being nice to you. Why don't you, you know, step it up? Can't you tell I'm being nice over here? I'm just waiting for you to give a shit, you know, instead of, and you know, for a founder, it's like, it's worth thinking about, make a list of 10 conversations that I've been avoiding. Like what, what am I not willing to talk about? And there's lots of fears of why we haven't. Right. And like, what are the concerns if I do? And I mean, really, I guess a little bit of a commercial for us, um, you know, I think that most folks just segment that off. It's like, I'm not trained in that, which was true. I'm not trained in kind of the art of generating possibility through conflict. And none of us really are. Um, and that's why people end up connecting with us because where the conflict is, is where the possibility is, where the conflict is, is where the trust is waiting, you know? Um, and and if the I, ground is, that's right. That's right. So people come to us. And to, I mean, it's so odd. I'll sometimes talk about even just last night, late at night, talking to a client about a negotiation that she's going through. And I, I, I framed out how to talk about it. And she said, wow, it sounds so simple when you say it. And I'm like, yeah. Now, if you just, you know, cause it occurs to me this way and you know, she's in it. And so it's like a, filled with a lot more psychological stuff and fear and concerns and all that kind of stuff. But the way to language the possibility, even in a chaotic, conflicted situation, is not that simple. It's not that hard. It's actually quite simple. Um, but but you know, having somebody from the outside that can help you see what you're not seeing is usually a, you know a huge resource, um, and ends up being viral. And when you get those principles in place, that it can also be viral in a good way. You know, because it's not as I mean, we tend to see conflict as a personality conflict instead of seeing conflict. I mean, also seeing conflict because it could be that like, I don't like you. You don't like me, whatever. But um, we don't properly look at the priorities of concerns because I cannot like you, but you and I are connected to get this thing done. And so I can actually put my dislike of you below what I'm paid to do or what I'm called even called to do. So that's your secret of working with me. That's it. Yeah, I really hate you. <laughs> now the whole world knows it. I mean, you know, it's not, anyway, but our, our aim is like to help because we really, we feel for founders. We really do. We love founders. And this is why, because they're like, they're going to do something big and why not be very successful and feel good about who you are as a human being simultaneously. Like you don't have to choose one path and most mm. people settle for just one, either I'll be effective or I'll make a difference with people. And we say both are possible at all moments in time. Yeah. I think that's a great segue into where I wanted to wrap this thing up. Mark, one of the points that you made is that one of our visions, one of our dedications as a team is to bring founders together and to start having these conversations to be a resource for each other 
and for us to be a resource for them so that the loneliness starts to, we start to encourage and, and invite founders to take a different path than loneliness. I'm wondering, you know, what's the magic? We can talk specifically about the impact series. What's the magic of having 20 founders in a room with three coach, three or four coaches. And how does this conversation of loneliness start to shift? Well, I think when people recognize that the, the, the arc of the journey is very similar, um, even though their industries, products, services could be radically different, that the, the, the fundamental steps on the journey are um, the ones that everyone goes through. Dan talked about the hero's journey, and it is very much that. And so uncovering that, um, giving language to it, as Adrian pointed out, and then not just you know in the workshop, but we provide now group coaching that comes after, and I think that can be very effective. A lot of founders you know want to do individual coaching. I get that. Um, there's also a place for group coaching too, um, because again, in you, most founders have a high, highly developed sense of curiosity. Um, they wouldn't be founders otherwise. And so that curiosity does extend to other founders when they get together with them. Um, and uh, so we, we provide the right forum for that curiosity to be explored. Then, then I think that um, they're able to take away a lot from those settings, whether they're workshop settings, group coaching settings. Um, it really is a place of seeing what my similarities are, the similarities of my circumstance to someone else at some point in time, maybe in the past, potentially in the future, um, and here and now. So uh, providing those forums for for founders to get together in a curated uh, fashion, I, th I think, could be has has really shown some real benefits. Mm. Great. Um, if you want to check out more, I'm, I'll link the the website for the Impact Series um, to this to the episode description. So um, there's so much available to you as a founder, if you're feeling this loneliness, if you're feeling this isolation, I hope this, this has been an invigorating conversation for me, uh, very lively at moments. And I really appreciate that because this is life. I mean, this is vitality to choose a different way to choose to be connected with other human beings, to do business with other human beings and sell things to other human beings. So thanks so much, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye, right. everybody. Well, my friends, thank you so much for listening to yet another conversation on the Naked Leadership Podcast. Your listenership and commitment to the podcast means the world to us. If this podcast or these conversations has helped or inspired you in any way, would you mind going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star rating and a glowing review? This helps us grow the movement and reach more leaders and teams. Finally, the greatest compliment that you can give us is sharing the podcast with your teams and the other leaders in your life. Until next week, bye-bye everybody.